0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. After a long summer hiatus, the show is back with a rebroadcast of our episode on Dragon Age Inquisition and The Witcher 3 with Professor Matthew Gabriel. In this episode, Matthew and I delve into popular medievalism, as well as a discussion of violence, race and religion in medieval Europe. If you enjoy the show, please consider rating us on iTunes. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider supporting us on Patreon. I'm looking forward to having the History Respawn podcast back on a more regular basis in the coming weeks. So please subscribe to us on iTunes or on SoundCloud so you can keep track of the latest episodes. And with that, here's our show on Dragon Age Inquisition and The Witcher 3. I'm Bob Whitaker. Welcome to History Respond. On today's show, we'll be discussing two role-playing games heavily inspired by medieval European history, Dragon Age Inquisition and The Witcher 3. Our guest historian is Professor Matthew Gabriel from Virginia Tech University. Matthew is an expert on the intersection between religion and violence in the Middle Ages and has written extensively on topics including Charlemagne and the First Crusade. Alright, welcome to the episode. Matthew, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Happy to do it.
0: So, uh, you know, both Dragon Age and The Witcher take place in fantasy worlds that are heavily informed by medieval history. Uh, We also have medieval influence popping up in film and television through things like The Hobbit and Game of Thrones. What do you think is behind this interest in medievalism and medieval settings?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's something I've thought about um, quite a bit because, you know, in my, my kind of teaching life, that medievalism, that 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 popular culture of the Middle Ages, is a lot of what attracts students into into classes, um, and so you know I have to deal with that those those preconceptions all the time, um, and you know at least in my thinking it it doesn't seem like it's it's something new. I mean. People have been fascinated with the Middle Ages ever since the Middle Ages themselves. People have been talking about kind of what it means to be, you know, in between two things, you know, um, sure. and and what what that means to to occupy a space that is defined by its uh, by its negation, by being the the opposite of something. Um, and at least to my mind, I think that's actually what holds its appeal, um, is that it becomes this kind of blank space against which you can you can define your own time. Um, what I mean by that is that it, it's a place in which you can kind of let your imagination run free, and it becomes a natural backdrop for, for, um, for fantasy elements, because it seems like it's so different from what... Um, what we have in this world of ours today whether that be the 19th century the 20th or the 21st or or sometime even you know before then
0: do you think that the kind of relative lack of documentary evidence uh for the middle ages plays into the freedom with which people feel that they can put in fantasy elements
1: no i think that that's absolutely right and because it's um even when you have um, documentary evidence, um, it's in a foreign language, and it's a language that's that's widely recognized as dead. You know, when we're talking about Europe, for example, we're talking about Latin, which isn't a spoken language anymore. Although, you know, you obviously see see roots that, that continue into the um, to the modern um, Romance languages. Um, it looks like a space that's just fundamentally different than than what we have today, and. When you combine that with the the popular preconception, and not a not a terribly wrong preconception about the Middle Ages, that it was a time of religion, um, which most people take to be um, kind of su- a superstitious form of religion, a, f- a form of religion that hasn't that isn't um, kind of fundamentally modern, that has fallen from kind of a right. pure ancient version, when you know religion or Christianity and Judaism really is what we're talking about, or I guess Islam to a degree as well. Um, it's not that, and it's not the modern return to that ancient purity. It's this, this kind of period of corruption. So you have superstition and a lack of evidence, and the evidence you have in a, a language that is, has that is long been um, you know, considered dead. It becomes, again, this canvas in which you can kind of paint whatever you want that people believed, of course, in that period that there would be dragons, that there would be monsters lurking out there. And so there's a natural um, tendency to associate that period with um, things like Dragon Age, things like The Witcher, um, which have these fantasy elements kind of ingrained within them.
0: So both of these games, particularly The Witcher, uh, take place in realms that are uh, seen as brutal and cutthroat uh, and filled with a lot of betrayals, violence. Uh, and a heavy amount of gore. Uh, So were the Middle Ages really this violence? And was it common for people to uh, get medieval on each other's asses? Well, I mean, I think the
1: short answer is yes and no. Um, You know, the period itself is as complex as any other historical period. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we're not we're not in our own day, um, you know, in 21st century America, or even the 21st century West generally, or really the 21st century world, I mean, we have periods of horrendous violence, and we have periods of, of almost unimaginable peace, you know, that spread out from various um, kind of focal points. Um, what's interesting to me is that um, there's really this perception of the Middle Ages really mirrors the kind of scholarly trends. And what I mean by that is that throughout, um, at least through the 20th century and probably even before then, is that there were two kind of competing um, uh, ways of trying to describe the Middle Ages to, to, to audiences. And one is to familiarize the Middle Ages, to basically make the Middle Ages seem like today. Mm. Um, and the other is to defamiliarize it, is to make it seem unlike anything that happens today. Mm. Um, and what I think is going on with this recent resurgence in kind of this fantasy genre, especially in video games and making them kind of violent, is that is, there is a current kind of trend to defamiliarize, that that's kind of overtaking the scholarship. And they're trying to place the Middle Ages as a counterpoint to what we see as an unprecedented um, period of pros- prosperity and peace. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Steven Pinker's book, which came out relatively recently, which talked about kind of a, an overall decline in violence. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of problems kind of with the, the, the history behind Pinker's book, but it does kind of represent a kind of more general thought about, you know, we live in a, a relatively peaceful time in which there aren't large-scale wars going on. Um, and, you know, the types of violence that are being perpetrated are, um, at least in the modern world, are, are very different than – what we imagine to have happened in the Middle Ages,
0: hmm.
1: um, you know, even the idea of um, you know modern warfare being conducted conducted by drone or by computer, in which um, you know the idea of hand to hand combat, which is the, the current of, of the Middle Ages, is almost unthinkable. You know, when you stab someone with the sword, you have to be right next to them. You know, that's right. not that's not what it is today. You know, there's a lot of literature, of course, and a lot of popular um, understanding that, you know, the drones that fly over Afghanistan or over Iraq or over, you know, Syria or wherever are operated out of Texas or out of Washington, D.C. or something Mm -hmm. like that. And everything is done via, um, is done via um, video screens. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, what's happening with that violence is just, there is a reality to that, you know, in in the Middle Ages and and it's kind of, you know, portrayed in these these medieval themed um, fantasy epics. That you know when you when you killed somebody or when violence occurred, it was a bloody mess. Um, you know, in a way that um, it's very difficult to to imagine today. Um, mm. The thing that one of the few things that I liked, for example, about the movie um, Braveheart as a as a medieval historian was that they got the battles kind of right. Mm. They were chaotic, they were loud, they were um, messy, and they were just almost incredibly brutal. It mm. could go on for 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 very long periods of time.
0: Mm. All right. Well, there's definitely a lot of big battle sequences like that, particularly in uh, Dragon Age. Uh, and, you know, it seems interesting to me that so much of the violence that's done in both of these games are done to uh, fantasy characters uh, and rather than actual people. And I wonder if there's something going on there where we're okay to have a lot of gore and violence as long as it's happening to some other Otherworldly character uh, rather than a real person, or you know somebody that uh, maybe would fit into the real world.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. Um, I think that um, you know, at least in the the Dragon Age games, which which I've actually played um, and so know a little bit more about, um, I still think that you're you're meant to feel sympathy for the good guys because they look like us. Yes. Um, you know, the bad guys always look different. They're misshapen. They're still kind of monstrous. Um, and so it's easy to to dissociate yourself as a player from those people that they deserve the violence because they're 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 scary and they're threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, although, you know, elves have pointy ears, for example, or, you know, dwarves are short, you um, you know, they still look fundamentally kind of human, as opposed to in the Dragon Age games. You know, the main bad guy, you know, he has like these rocks kind of growing out of him. Yes. And, um, you know, the same thing with um, you know his army is that they just look weird. They're different, um, and therefore you can you can. It allows you to, to, to kind of perpetrate the kind of violence, which really is, if you think about it, I mean, the number of people you end up killing at the end of Dragon Age Inquisition is pretty
0: staggering. Oh, and of course, and in all of the Dragon Ages, as far as I remember, uh, even going back to the first one, there were uh, achievements tied to killing so many Darkspawn uh, in all of the games, so you were actually rewarded uh, for perpetrating this, uh, basically yeah. mass murder uh, against uh, what amounts to non-humanoid uh, beings, you know, something that you mm-hmm. can kill without necessarily feeling yeah. the shame about.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, there's no way to complete the game without actually doing it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, turning now to uh, religion, uh, and you know, this issue of religion it plays a major role uh, in Dragon Age. Uh, so your character is is seen as a divinely appointed inquisitor. Uh, there is a religious order of knights called the Templars. Uh, there is a major official religion ruled by the Chantry. Uh, there are also uh, multiple uh, other religions, including uh, you know what amounts to paganism practiced by elves. Uh, and then uh, the Qunari uh, have uh, a religion called the Qun, which uh, seems pretty closely related uh, to early Islam. So how important was religion in medieval life? And were there as many different types of belief as we see in the Dragon Age series?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's one of, to me, I mean, I'm, I am a medieval historian, but I'm also primarily a, a historian of kind of religious and intellectual history. I mean, that that's one of the most interesting things about the Dragon Age series, for example, is, is what they do with religion. And to my mind, I, th- I think they get religion really kind of right for the Middle Ages. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, the things that distinguish the um, the races, the elves versus dwarves versus the Qunari versus, um, you know, humans, for example, um, is that it's not just that each practices a different religion, it's that a religion is, is kind of tied to an identity as a racial category. So, you know, the elves have X, the Qunari have Y, um, you know, the humans have, you know, Z. Um, and so those boundaries between what is how people are are, are differentiated, um, or sorry, how how the characters are differentiated? You know what makes a human a human versus what makes an elf an elf versus what makes a cunari a cunari? Right, um, is both religious, but it's also it's also racial, um, and I think that's really kind of accurate for what's going on in the Middle Ages, at least for the vast majority of the Middle Ages. Um, and what I mean by that is that you know if you were um, living in Western Europe and you self-identified as as a Christian, you know, that identity would, would kind of trump almost everything else. So, um, you know, that allowed, for example, kind of great um, uh, movements of, of people's, like things like the Crusades, for example, is that you had all these disparate peoples from disparate places, many of whom couldn't speak the same language or had never, maybe never even traveled outside their village in their entire lives, and yet when Christianity was, quote-unquote, threatened, Um, at least as it was portrayed by the popes at the time, um, you know, they marched off under the banner that, that call made sense to them. Um, When um, there were the horrible um, attacks on the Jews by the Christian populations of Europe during much of the middle ages is that that, that identity trumped anything else is that you were, you were, you were a Jew first and then you were uh, a citizen of Mainz or, you know, um, a, a Frank or something like that. Secondary. Um, and the only way that you could cross boundaries um, in the Middle Ages um, was by, by converting. So if, um, for example, during the attacks on the Jews during the First Crusade, which accompanied the First Crusade, um, the, the Crusaders gave the Jews of the Rhineland a choice. They could convert or they could be killed. Um, and those that converted were, were, were spared. They were just kind of accepted mm. into the Christian community because they had renounced that, that part of their identity. This becomes increasingly problematic later on in the Middle Ages when um, that process of conversion becomes kind of fully wrapped up in um, a racial identity. And so just as you can't kind of, at least in a medieval mindset, kind of cast off your race or your, your, your origins, there was a question about whether you could cast off your religious identity. And so Jews, for example, in Spain in the later Middle Ages, Would convert, but then their families would be suspect for several generations um, because they would the the Christian um, Mm. authorities would always wonder was this conversion sincere? You know, in the same way that you know in the Dragon Age series, I mean, with the Cune, it seems like there's there's a little more kind of porous um, boundaries. Is that people who are elves or humans could become part of the Cune, but you know, could could a human? I mean, a human couldn't become an elf. In the Dragon Age series, and an elf can never become kind of a human even if um, as is some of the cases um, you know there are elves who, who worship and, um, who follow the chantry and then there are, there seem to be some humans who who are kind of ambivalent about the elven gods but they can never really kind of move between those spaces because of their physical characteristics which separate them mm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up religion and race. I mean, both of these games have been criticized uh for their portrayal of race, uh, in particular The Witcher, uh which is mm-hmm. uh you know set in kind of this Eastern European milieu, uh but it doesn't feature any people of color. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting point you bring up that, you know, many times these religious divides were based on race and they were recognized as barriers even at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, there's some wonderful work being done, um, both scholarly and um, kind of, um, I don't want to say non-scholarly, but more popularizing. Um, there's a Tumblr, for example, called um, Medieval People of Color and there's a yes. Twitter handle as well. Um, Just doing really great work to show that, you know, although that's a popular conception and in certain specific instances, it is true that everybody in certain areas would be white, for example, is that – you know, the Middle Ages were no stranger to racial difference, and they thought about those differences in very interesting ways in specific contexts, whether it be literary or historical or something like that. Um, we like to think of Europe as this kind of hermetically sealed um, area during yes. during the Middle Ages that nobody traveled anywhere, but. That's really not the case. I mean, you know, even, um, you know, not just in Spain, in which you had a a great mixing of different peoples from all over the place, um, but also, you know, across the Mediterranean world, people were moving, you know. And that's, that's true through the whole of the Middle Ages. And so they encountered people who looked very, very different than themselves. And they had to think about what that meant, that these people were different than they were.
0: Right. And, you know... It's no secret, or at least it shouldn't be a secret, to uh, you know people watching this episode that you know people in the medieval world were very well aware of the world outside of mm-hmm. Europe, uh, and you know a lot of the knowledge of the outside world fed into the myths uh, from the Middle Ages. I can think uh, in particular of the myth of Prester John, sure, uh, you know, and uh, how that kind of brings in this idea of uh, uh, you know pan-Eurasian uh, Christendom uh, and. Of course, Prester John never ended up showing up in the Crusades, but it didn't stop people from kind of holding these ideas that there was a wider world.
1: No, absolutely. And it didn't stop them from looking either. I mean, you know, one of the avowed um, uh, intentions of Columbus was to find a passage to the Indies so he could look for Prester John. You know, I, I think people people forget about that. He, he was very invested. In one of the reasons he could not be convinced that he hadn't discovered the Indies is because he was still looking
0: for <laughs> Prester John. Uh, we're still waiting for Prester John.
1: <laughs> still waiting. Yep. The other thing I kind of wanted to mention is that you know, um, it, it's interesting the the kind of the that connection between race and religion um, becomes even more interesting. When you compare it to, for example, the Dragon Age series in the later Middle Ages because then you have this kind of inward turn um, and this this split in the Dragon Age Inquisition that occurs within the Chantry um, between kind of the Chantry itself and the Inquisition is – is very interesting because in the later Middle Ages Christianity starts to kind of eat itself, um, at least in Western Europe and what I mean by that is that that mm-hmm. you have the creation of this this group called the Inquisition in the Middle Ages itself which is looking for people who are deviating from the norm um, and they may seem like good Christians, they may look like good Christians, again kind of bringing that racial element back into it too, but they're not believing the right things. That they're they're kind of traitors in, um, or, or kind of a, like a fifth column, you know, within the body of Christendom that's trying to pollute it, um, and that there's there's these external forces, these secret hidden external forces um, that are trying to destroy Christendom from within. And in some ways, that mimics, you know, the, the main story of of um, Of of the third of uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, because you have this external force which is trying to pollute, you know, all of uh, Thedas from within by using its uh, its its kind of agents spread across the world to 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 evince this this great or to to set in motion this grand master plan to destroy the world, Um, and the Inquisition is set to stop it. That's kinda what the Inquisition was afraid was happening in medieval Christendom. In the 13th and, and 14th centuries, in which crusades are launched internally against um, people called heretics, people who were thought to deviate from from standard orthodoxy, because heretics, Jews, mm-hmm. and Muslims in the 13th and 14th century are thought to be kind of in league together, that they're all working in concert at the behest of the devil to destroy, um, you know, good Christian souls, um, and the Inquisition is the what's created to kind of kind of root that out. Now the way that's gone about, as okay. in, um, or the way that went about, I should say, in the real Middle Ages as opposed to in the game, are very, very different things. You know, it's it's clear in the game the Inquisition um, is a force for kind of good um, because there actually is this conspiracy. But yeah, in the Middle Ages, I mean, it becomes a lot more problematic, and you get some pretty pretty terrible stuff yes. that happens in the name of of doing what they thought was was the right thing.
0: Right. Yeah. And. I think Dragon Age is so interesting because it does have a role for persecuted communities, uh, particularly the elves, uh, who, Mm -hmm. if they're located in a city, are typically seen as a sub-race that are placed into ghettos. Uh, And and like you're saying, with the Middle Ages, that was a very common uh, type of reality, especially for Jews uh, throughout Christendom.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's, yeah, I mean, Dragon Age is very smart about, um, you know, how it plays with with all these things. Like you mentioned, um, kind of a little while ago, the Qune is kind of, in some ways, kind of a, a version of early Islam. Um, you know, the, the elves could be seen as kind of perhaps kind of the Jews who live within medieval Christendom. But they're also, a hmm. lot of them have Irish accents in their voice actors. So that, that's another kind of weird comment. Interesting,
0: yeah, I never noticed that. That's a good that point.
1: Um, and then the humans are either they're either English if they're Ferelden or they're French if they're Orlesian. Yes. Um, and then um, the you know Antiva is kind of like Venice um, or the or Italy kind of. And then um, I don't really know what they're doing with Tevinter. They're kind of like these other people. Um, maybe we'll find out in the next game. Yeah,
0: I think I think I get a good sense that Taventer might be the setting uh, for next mm-hmm. Dragon Age. I think they they've played out Ferelden and definitely Orle. Uh, at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see, um, hopefully. Um, and You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is the setup of the main religious forces uh, in, um, in Dragon Age. Uh, in particular, you've got the Chantry, uh, kind of seen as the established church, and then you have the Templars, uh, who are the ones who defend the faith, uh, and then there's a group of uh, mages, kind of, you know, some of them are freelance, some of them are tied to the Chantry, uh, but mm-hmm. this seems to kind of, you know, mimic the the makeup of medieval society, right? You have, uh, at least, you know, from my my early days of taking medieval history classes, you have the people who pray, you have the people who fight, and then you have the people who work. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what do you think of this, of this, you know, religious uh, hierarchy that we see in Dragon Age?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I might, I might read it a little bit differently, um, and and what I mean by that is that like I think, I think the mages have to be there because, because it's it's a fantasy game. Mm-hmm. Like you just you just need that element, um, you know. Ever since, well, really, ever since Tolkien, um, Tolkien and Lewis kind of defined what what fits within kind of a modern fantasy genre. You, you just need a magic user. You need somebody who can cast spells. Um, you know, but that religious hierarchy, I think, is. Is um, um, at least as it relates to the, the chantry and the Templars, mm-hmm. I think is 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 really interesting too. Because what you see in the third um, Dragon Age game is you know this revolt of the Templars against the chantry, yes. Um, who, which I think is really was a great fear of the late medieval Church or late medieval um, kind of Christian or Western Christianity. Um, right before the Templars were forcibly disbanded in the 14th century, is that the Templars became a force unto themselves. And they really could have had the authority, if they wanted to, in, you know, around 1300, to kind of strike out on their own and do something that maybe not everybody would be particularly happy about. Mm. Um, In the Dragon Age game, you know, start a, well, start or continue, depending on your perspective, I guess. Um, This great war that's kind of ripping the... the the continent apart Mm. so you know but the fact that dragon age is very concerned about religious hierarchy i think is is also another very smart move on their part at least as it relates to kind of the history of the middle ages because that that's that's a really important question um throughout the period that i study is you know who's in charge of who and what are their kind of spheres of influence and what is what's a proper role for a templar as opposed to a priest Mm. as opposed to a monk as opposed to an abbot or a bishop or a pope or You know, whatever, Um, and then there are those, as you mentioned, kind of in the classic distinction, those who work, uh, who are always at the bottom, um, and those are those are the guys who get caught up in in the war. They're just they're just trying to you know have a farm and feed their kids and things like that. And then there are these forces Mm -hmm. above them that kind of rampage through and sometimes disrupt that in really kind of terrible ways.
0: Mm. So. In the Dragon Age series, there's a really close relationship uh, between the real world and the spiritual world, or spiritual realm. Uh, And the divide between these two is often penetrated by spiritual possession or by recurrence of the kind of hellspawn coming up from the ground, uh, what they call in the game the Blight. Um, And does this permeability of the divide between the real and the spiritual worlds uh, found in Dragon Age reflect medieval thought?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it reflects modern thought too in some ways. I mean, I was looking at something recently which said that forty two percent of uh Americans as of twenty thirteen still believed in ghosts i mean that's that's the permeability of <laughs> of the um the uh the real and the spiritual um but I think in the middle ages as well you know um you know the fact that um you know, and I'll give us a, a spoiler here. So, you know, if you're listening, you might want to cover your ears. Um, that Solas is revealed to be the the Dread Wolf. I mean, one of the elven gods. At the end, I mean that yes. that would not that it would be you know um, one of many gods showing up on Earth, but the idea that that the divine um, would take an active interest in the events of the world and would participate in those events is is a, would be perfectly at home in a medieval mindset. Um, that God had created this world, at least from a Western Christian perspective, God had created this world and still took an active interest in it, and could would still intervene, and He would show His 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 happiness or His displeasure um, by the course of events. You know, when um, the Crusades were successful, for example, that was God showing His His favor. And when the Crusades were unsuccessful, it was God from a Western Christian perspective, punishing um, Christians for their sins, showing his his displeasure and the, and the need to to get back on the right track um, you know that 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 veil, if you will um, between um, the divine and the human was was very very thin and it, and it could be it could be um, made even thinner depending on the particular circumstance. If, for example, you thought you were enacting God's will, then, um, for example, as as during the First Crusade, you would you would see um, the, an army of saints marching alongside the Crusaders, fighting against the Muslims. In that case, you know there's there's no there's no barrier at all. I mean, the saints have returned from from the dead, from heaven to um, to fight on behalf of the Crusaders, and this is this is accounted for in several medieval sources. Um, at other instances, you know. Um, it might be a little bit more inscrutable what God wanted. And so that divide might seem much, much bigger.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. You bring up uh, solace uh, uh, in terms of spoilers, uh, but you know, in terms of earlier on in the dragon age series, we also have uh, Morgan and her mother mm-hmm. uh, who seem to be also fitting into this world of, you know, one foot in the real world and one foot in the spiritual realm. Sure. And, You know, it's interesting to me that uh, the game plays into this idea of, you know, bringing in demons, but in their real-world manifestation, they're always dragons. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm wondering, you know, in terms of the medieval mind, you know, what role did dragons play? And did they have this kind of spiritual element? And, you know, did people actually believe that they existed and if so you know where were they located in i guess the spiritual hierarchy of the medieval age
1: um you know it's kind of hard to say so you see references not not a ton that i'm aware of though they are there um to dragons in in some medieval sources um but the dragon par excellence, at least in medieval thought, was was Satan himself, mm. um, and so and that that's that's based upon a reading of um, certain passages in the Book of Revelation, um, and so by and large, not not exclusively, it becomes it becomes a little bit more problematic later on. But by and large, when you see references to dragons, it's a sign of great evil, um, and it only appears kind of when when something terrible is happening because the devil is making himself manifest in the world. Um, mm. You know, and, and, and again, in that way, you know, the, the reappearance of a dragon during a blight, for example, during in dragon Age, is, is kind of mimics that in some ways is that it's, um, you know, the devil reappearing in the world to wreak terrible havoc and the forces of good need to fight against that mm. to, to, to try to stop it. Um, you know, in, in, in medieval thought, you know, it's not there's no gray wardens <laughs> who can fight against that dragon. It's 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 really God Himself who, after a time of persecution, will will stop the the, the depredations of or the, the the rampage of of Satan and and restore order. Um, but that only occurs really right at the end of time, at the very end. Sure. So that dragon, um, you know, to get back to your question, the dragon kind of loomed. In certain sense, in in the back of the medieval mind, but it wasn't it wasn't like to be expected mm. that it could appear. Um, there were certain kind of you know stories like this, the story of Saint George and the dragon, for example, Saint George slaying the dragon. I mean that was that was a common medieval um, story, but that was again that was it was set in another time and a place. Saint George, the story of Saint George by the Middle Ages was already an old story. It mm. happened a long time ago when there were dragons, but there aren't dragons now.
0: Mm. Alright, Matthew, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: No, it's been it's been my pleasure. So I'm I'm gonna go upstairs and maybe play a little Dragon Age right now. Awesome.